Blog Talk Radio. if I turn on my mic. Welcome, Minions. Uh, I've been sitting here talking for about the last few seconds and realized I didn't have my mic on. So, hey, uh, you got you got a little extra bumper music this morning. Man, oh, man, it's one of those days. It's cloudy. It looks like it's going to rain here in Indianapolis, where we're located high atop the Ballad Studios in the west suburbs of Indianapolis. Welcome, my Minions, to the big, big weekend. We've been talking about this weekend, and we've been talking about this weekend. It is, well, we call the show Showdown in Columbus. Adam Jividen, super Buckeye fan, super duper Browns fan, quasi-Cavalier fan, joins us here in just a few moments to help us break down the Ohio State-Notre Dame game. And uh, so I'm sure Adam will be in his, his top form. Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles and SI.com, will also join us as we begin our NFL talk. And, and we've had our fantasy football drafts. If you were uh, with the Balance League, we had it yesterday. <clears throat> I had my work one on Thursday. And then uh, one with the fellas on Wednesday. Tony Donahue, Tony D Podcast, joins us on at the end of the show here to talk IndyCar, and he's obviously from uh, Tony Podcast and BurnoutSports.com. He's going to be joining us for some racing, and hopefully we can uh, snag Steve Wilson in there as well, um, editor-in-chief of uh, SpeedwayDigest.com and our official NASCAR contributor. So, it's out for the ado. We'll be back right here on the other side to get things kicked off. No pun intended.
National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family. So the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. Morning face. You get it when you don't sleep well. This is what happened to Linda. Morning, guys. Good morning. Ah, what is that thing? It's me, Linda. Oh, my God, it talks. Run! No, it's me, Linda, from HR. It looks hungry. Save the children. Save them. Stay back. I've got mace. Ow, that went in my eyes. Quit moving. It's called beauty sleep for a reason. And there's never been a better time to get some. Get 20% off IKEA salt and mattresses. IKEA. Love your home. Oh, hi. Uh, hey. Seen on the board, do you guys have Black Rifle coffee here? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. We only carry good small batch coffee here. Well, it is great small batch coffee. Well, that really can't be unless it's fresh roasted, so, um, you know. Well, it is fresh roasted. I don't, I don't think you know what that means. You know what this is? This is Masa Le Piquet, which, of course, in the Indonesian language, oh, let me finish, in the Indonesian language, it's weasel coffee. You just made that up. No, it's been passed through their digestive tract. That's disgusting. And then it's nature's wet processing. Yeah, but is it good? I mean, it's all right. Are they... Investor philanthropists, do they support good causes? Yeah, tons of causes. Veterans causes and first responder causes, but it doesn't matter because they make good coffee. So that's what I'm wanting. Do you have any? You know what? Actually, I'm, I'm just going to order it. They make it fresh and roasted. Okay. Right. Black Rifle Coffee. It's good. just a little bit, uh, uh, Adam, because we've got to get into some other big news here with college football. 
going to kick off her, her college football segment. Maybe. There, there is a possibility I may not be able to talk. Uh, but, Adam, good morning. How are you? I'm good. But you got something wrong, Tom. There is no quasi about being – I have been a Cavs fan <laughs> since I was eight years old, dude. So get that mess out of here. <laughs> hey, you know, the, the Cavs, they, they did pretty good. They got themselves a, a pretty good trade. They're pretty – I'm actually – Pretty optimistic about them Cavs. For the first time since LeBron good. James. They got a 26-year-old superstar. That's what I said. For the first time since LeBron James. They got something to be excited right. about. Right. <laughs> I, I, I would I would heavily disagree since they had two all-stars last year, but we'll digress. <laughs> That's all right. No problem. Well, one of the big news I want to get into, and obviously it's, it's big news, and it'll – Certainly, uh, maybe now it'll uh, allow IU to get in the playoffs, but <laughs> if only that were the case. <clears throat> but the college football uh, board managers unanimously voted on Friday to expand the college football to, uh, playoffs to 12 teams in 2026, and, and you actually broke that to me. I was like, cool. Uh, so uh, this is something we've been talking about for a while. Of course, now now they're going to want 14 and, you know, and so forth. But I think this is good. I mean, really, if you want to – Think about it. It certainly is an historic college, uh, historic day in college football, and and um, the board's made up of eleven presidents and chancellors uh, that approved the twelve uh, team model. I always thought it was kind of funny that the people that make the decisions about the sports are just academia. They aren't like coaches. They aren't players. They aren't. Those are the people who should be making that. Fans should be on the 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 board about. Uh, about making those decisions. But nonetheless, I digress as also college football playoffs expanded to 12 teams start 2026. Adam, what say you? Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and actually it might even be as early as 2024. Um, there are several um, key commissioners around the country, as well as like Jack Swarbrick, the Notre Dame uh, athletic director that are going to be meeting, I believe over the weekend. Um, to talk about trying to move this up to as early as 2024. Um, 2026 is just when the current, basically the current TV contract expires. Uh, if they choose to move it up, then they would just renegotiate the contract, which would be potentially huge because that also coincides with the timing of two major things. One is the USC, UCLA, and who knows who else joining the Big Ten. And then that also coincides with the Big Ten signing there uh, or kicking off their brand new media contract, um, which was a deal that basically nudges ESPN out completely. Uh, it was a deal they signed with uh, Fox um, as the primary, um, and then NBC and CBS um, are car- going to be carrying games uh, for the new and improved Big Ten Network, um, or Big Ten Conference, excuse me, um, as, in starting in 2024. So it's a huge deal. Um, Strictly because, especially with the way that these conferences are kind of consolidating themselves, it's it's hard to have uh, just four teams. I mean, we've we've kind of had this every single year where you have a team that maybe takes like an early loss and is hot at the end, and nobody wants to play them, but they're just going to end up playing in in a in a bowl game that is is great to watch and is fun, but at the end of the day, really means nothing. So that's when you have these players opt out to go train for 
you know, the, the, the draft and, and to do these things that are, that are taking them off the field. So uh, the, the playoff expansion has needed to happen. I mean, if you remember back to the very first year when Ohio State won the very first college football playoff, there was controversy <laughs> that year about who should be in. And, and Ohio State leapfrogged Baylor and TCU to, to get that last spot. And everybody was like, well, did Ohio State deserve it? We don't know. And then they beat Alabama and Oregon, and it was kind of a moot point. But that seems to happen every year where someone gets left out that everybody goes, wow, they really could have gotten in and made some, made some noise. It's one, thing, it's one thing if you have an opportunity to make noise, to, to do something, and you don't get it done. It's another if uh, you don't even have that opportunity. The other thing that this will do is allows teams to showcase that they've improved. Because it feels like essentially since the BCS era, if you would make the BCS title game and lose, you would get pe- more people that would dog you that by somebody that won some nondescript bowl game. And they're like, well, you lost in the national championship game. They're like, but, but yeah, but they made the national championship game and you played in the freaking Capital One Century Bowl or something like that. Like, and so now you have these programs that are maybe on the up and up. We see this in other sports, right? You see it with, like, pr- progression in the NFL or in, in, in the NBA where you have, like, a young team or a program that's on the rise that the first year their goal is what? Make the playoffs. Second year, maybe their goal is maybe what? Win a playoff series, maybe two. As a Cleveland Cavaliers fan, that's what I'm going to be hoping for. We made the playoffs <laughs> or made the play-in games last year. This upcoming season – Let's win a playoff series, maybe two, because if we win two playoff series, we get to the Eastern Conference Finals, and then who knows? Well, you so know, you, you know. can have programs that can make those positive steps, which is what that 12-team playoff allows. You know, and there's always going to be uh, that team that says, well, I was right there. I should have been there. And we're going to continue to have this conversation about Notre Dame being an independent team and getting into the playoffs and being able to enjoy the benefits of all the other teams that, that and then you, you'll hear the argument from Notre Dame. This is well, why do we have to pay to play when NBC pay, pays us to play, uh, which is not far from the truth, not far from the truth at all. But I wonder, you know, if we're going to 12 teams, do we look at Notre Dame as much as I like to watch Notre Dame? And we're going to talk about Notre Dame today, today, isn't it time that – them and BYU both. I'll include BYU in it as well, but it looks like BYU is going to go over to the Pac-12. Isn't it time we don't have these independent teams still bowing for a spot in the playoffs? Isn't it time that companies like NBC pay the way for Notre Dame and so there's no motivation for them to be in any type of conference? I just think it brings everybody together in a level playing field do you think that now we're going to 12-team uh, playoffs, that that might be a part of the conversation? Or is Notre Dame, and I, I just, I'm leaving BYU out of it, but I'm not. BYU has talked like they're going to be going to the Pac-12. <clears throat> so that only leaves one team out there who's still straggling in the old school days, and that's Notre Dame. And we're going to talk about them here in just a second. Big game going on in Columbus that we need to talk about regarding Notre Dame. But my, my thing is, if they're going to play everybody else anyway, 
Why not be a part of a conference? Because the, the rest of their school is part of a conference. Why, why does our football have to be independent? I don't know. Maybe I just maybe I'm just a hater of of, of that. Like, hey, I, I'm too good. I don't need to be in a conference. I just it's a snobby attitude as a whole, not necessarily directed at the fans. But this 12 team, do you think that opens up a door for that conversation to happen? I, I mean, I mean, frankly, Notre Dame should have been in the conference already, if we're being honest. Like, especially now, their three biggest rivals. Um, two of the three are in the Big Ten now with, with USC coming. And there has been talks behind the scenes from what I've seen um, put out there that USC is v- very heavily considering telling Notre Dame either join the Big Ten or our rivalry is over because they don't want to be uh, – they don't want to be essentially uh, a pawn in Notre Dame's rationale to not join a conference when the Big Ten would love to have Notre Dame in. Um, so I, I think it's, the, the, the time has come. It also helps that you also have right now um, several Ohio State, um, former Ohio State players that are now, you know, head coach and other coaching spots at Notre Dame. I think it happens. I think they're going to try to make some noise to try to leverage themselves for a larger cut of the Big Ten pie, and the Big Ten is going to go, no, because our pie is still better than what you're getting by yourself, so either join or shut up, and they'll probably join. Um, and, and I, just, I think that's what's <laughs> going to happen. And frankly, that's what's best. I mean, for crying out loud, you'd be able to have year in, year out, I'm just going to go not Ohio State, but in terms of our, our schedule, but Notre Dame could run Michigan, Michigan State, Wisconsin, USC, UCLA, Ohio State, Penn State. I mean, if they, they act like they would be taking a hit to their schedule by joining the Big Ten, and that's far from the truth as it gets. So I, I expect them to join the Big Ten. At some point, they just kind of have to crap or get off the pot, and I think they're going to make the move. They just want to see how things, I think, settle out because you have the fact that, like, Gavin, Gavin Newsom, the governor, governor of, of California, is making noise because he's all butthurt that UCLA is joining the Big Ten. I don't it, – it's just stupid politics. But I think Notre Dame's going to kind of wait for things to settle out. And then at the end of the day, they're going to join the Big Ten because a lot of the SEC – excuse me, a lot of the ACC, I think, could <clears throat> easily either merge with the Big 12 – or join the SEC as well. So I don't know that there's going to be a lot of options for Notre Dame that make sense. You can either join a potentially dying or mutated ACC or join the Big Ten, which has several of your historical and geographical rivals already in it. Well, let's, uh, let's get – we're certainly going to put a pin in that. We're going to have our mini conversations about that coming up. You know, week one, college football, uh, certainly a lot of games going on. Uh, some of the notable ones, though, I thought was a, a pretty good win, uh, Old Dominion uh, over Virginia Tech. Uh, but also, uh, I'm an Indiana guy. I'm, we're, go, we're, going, we're going to the national championship now. We won our first game. That's all that matters. Indiana over Illinois last night, great game. Uh, but what I thought was an interesting game to look at was this TCU-Colorado game. 
I don't think anybody saw the T has looked at the TCU that played last night against Colorado. And if that is a peek into who they are, we have totally misstretched the horn toads. Yeah, I, I mean, TCU brought in their, a new coach for the first time in, like, forever. Gary Patterson had been there for eons. Um, and they brought in Sonny Dykes in, their, in his air raid offense. Um, TCU has never had a problem with defense. Now it looks like they won't have a problem with offense. And if they can just maintain, like, a close level of defense, TCU could easily pop up and win what is right now a unsettled Big 12. Nobody really knows who Texas is. You know, nobody really knows what Oklahoma is following Lincoln Riley going to USC. Baylor's, Baylor's solid. Um, and if Dave Aranda is, a, is that one of those that, – that next generation of stud coaches, they could easily uh, contend um, not just for the, the, the Big 12 but for a playoff spot. But TCU could easily find themselves right there in the mix. Um, great coaches have the ability to do that. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, TCU, in, in previous years, they would – I mean, they've had some great teams. Um, but this, is, this was expected to be kind of a rebuilding year. But I, I guess we'll see out of uh, – out of them, you know, what, what they've got and what's kind of a wide open pack or big 12. Are you muted again? Tom, are you with us? Did we lose the feed? Sorry, folks. It looks like we're having some technical difficulties. Hello, hello, Adam. Yep, I'm here. Yeah, I don't know what happened there. We just floated off into space and. We're still having some mic issues right now, so I'm having to go the old school way. So can you hear me okay? I can. I hate to have you do this, but why don't you just repeat the last two or three minutes, sir? I do not know yeah. what happened. Go ahead. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, all I was all I was saying is that TCU, you know, they're going to be led by Sonny Dykes after after Gary Patterson left and had been there for forever. Um, he's known for his air raid offense. And the Big 12 is completely wide open this year. Like, they've got some contenders that people kind of know. Um, they think Oklahoma's going to be good, led by Dylan Gabriel from UCF. Um, and then Brent Venable's coming in. But nobody really knows. Same that they don't really know about what Texas has. Um, Baylor is thought to be really solid. Dave Aranda is one of those next, like, stud coaches. But no one knows. TCU could easily put together a season – and contend for the for the Big Twelve. Um, so yeah, I I, yeah, I think good. it could easily happen. Um, there's some, I mean, there's some other two other awesome games today um, at three thirty so and seven o'clock. Let's, let's get into those games while we still got some college football uh, talk. I apologize about our technical difficulties pushed us back a little bit. Let's talk about the showdown in Columbus. Obviously, that's what we named our show today. Uh, we've marked this on our calendar. 
all year, I guess. Uh, a very exciting time. I was hoping to have Rick on, but he's actually got to work today. Uh, so he couldn't bring us the Notre Dame perspective that he that he typically brings uh, to it. So we'll we'll have you carry the torch for both Notre Dame and Columbus. Uh, obvious, I mean Columbus. I'm sorry, Ohio State is the favorite uh, to win this game, um, and I, I put a little money for Notre Dame to cover. I won't I, I won't lie, but you know the the last time, and I talked with you about it yesterday. Um, the Notre Dame Ohio State line has moved. Uh, Notre Dame to 17.5 underdogs down to about 15 and a half. So let's uh, break this down. Uh, first of all, let's start with Notre Dame since they're the visiting team there in Columbus. Sure. <clears throat> what are the pros and the cons? And uh, uh, let's break down Notre Dame as we go into this game today. So, so I think Notre Dame is strong in two key areas, and then they have question marks in two key areas. <laughs> The first is their line. They have, a, they have an NFL offensive line. It's a great offensive line. Um, they have had some injury issues in the spring, um, but from the sounds of things, it, it, it looks like, it, I guess it's a kind of a, more of a game-time decision, they're going to have all of their anticipated starters. Um, that's a big deal for them because that's going to essentially be the linchpin of their offense. I know they're going to try to move the ball on the ground, to, to ease the weight off of Tyler Buckner. And they're also really solid on the defensive line. Um, and they, they've got some great pass rushers. They're just really strong on both lines, which anytime you start there as you're great on the line, you've got some really good makings to contend in every huh. single game. There are huge question marks. Is their offensive skill position players and their quarterback? and then they're secondary. So they're breaking in a brand-new quarterback, first-time starter, and Tyler Buckner. He was a highly-rated four-star quarterback, but he's making his first start at night in Columbus against this team. And against the defense then that Ohio State's going to run with Jim Knowles, that no one knows what it's going to look like because this is his first game with us as well, and he adapts his defense to his personnel. So it's not like they even have tape to go back and be like, well, this is what they do a lot, because no one knows. Um, so, and, then, and then on top of that, Notre Dame's number one receiving target, Avery Davis, was lost for the year with an ACL tear um, during camp. So not only is their quarterback raw, and they have to replace their, their top receiver um, returning, then they also lost to the NFL draft Kyron Williams, their 1,300-yard running back last year. So they just – the question for Notre Dame this year is, besides Michael Mayer, who is the best tight end in football, who else is going to make noise on offense? We just don't know. Um, and, and so I think that's, that's where Notre Dame lies is, where are they going to do? When will they have enough offense to ultimately make up for what Ohio State has on the offensive side of the ball? Well, let's talk about Ohio State and then uh... – there's, uh, we're we're going to have to move into the NFL talk here in just a, a few minutes. Uh, but go ahead and let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, Ohio State. Starting their season off, probably the most important game that both teams have is today, is their first game. Ohio State, I don't have to get you pumped up about them, but everybody is predicting that it's not only going to be a showdown in Columbus, but it's going to be a beatdown in Columbus. So talk with us about your Ohio State Buckeyes. 
Yeah, I, I mean, if you want to talk, we, we've talked pros, you know, these last handful of weeks. They've got C.J. Stroud, who many consider the Heisman frontrunner. If he hadn't gotten hurt in the first game against Minnesota last year, he might have won the Heisman and not Bryce Young because he had to – basically he had a game that he had to take off because of the, the injury uh, to his hands, and then he had another game where he was clearly hurt and was just trying to manage. Um, but, I mean, Ohio State's loaded on offense. Um, in, in terms of skill positions, our, one of the Ohio State's biggest question marks is our offensive line. Um, several first-time starters, including both guards, um, uh, Matt Jones, who, who had some spot action last year, appeared in nine games. Um, he did have one start, so it's not his first start, but it's his first time cemented as the starter. And then Donovan Jackson, who is a uh, – he's going to be a sophomore. He was the number one guard in his entire recruiting class, and he's a beast. But it's still his first start. You also have on the left tackle, Paris Johnson, um, who moved over from guard. He was recruited as the number one offensive tackle um, in his class. Many are touting him potentially as the first offensive tackle off the board this year, should he have a good season and choose to go, because he has all the specs of what you look for in an NFL left tackle. Um, but that's the thing is it's a lot of new guys and, and maybe new positions um, for the first time. So people w- were not totally sure how they're going to perform against a good Notre Dame defensive line. And then the other question mark for Ohio State is just the defense in general. They have had the players to have a good defense. The last two years, our scheme has been one of the worst schemes I've ever seen in all of my years watching football. They just could not get it done. They were overthinking. They wouldn't make adjustments. It was just an absolute disaster. So people know, we know, Jim Knowles is going to have the defense playing better. The question is, how much better? That's what we don't know. And if, and if Ohio State is still adjusting and getting used to, you know, playing against, you know, a, 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 a helmet of a different color, um, and Notre Dame can score some early points, this could easily be, you know, a, a dogfight to the end. But we just don't know. And so there are question marks, pretty significant question marks, all over the field. The fact that this t- takes place in week one, week one you always get some weird things happen anyway, like random penalties or guys that are, you know, maybe a little excited that make mistakes they wouldn't normally make. Um, I still think at the end of the day, Ohio State just has too much offensive firepower for Notre Dame. And especially since the line moved down to 15 and a half, I think they cover. Um, when it was 17, I actually have 17 points essentially as the margin of victory. Um, I think the score is going to be somewhere in the margin of like uh, 42, uh, you know, like 24, 42, you know, 27. I think 42, 27. I'll stick with that number. Um, we're going to give up some points. Uh, which will make fans in Columbus maybe not super happy. Um, Notre Dame is going to obviously give up some points. Uh, but I think it's going to be just a great game. Um, and you'll see this is what college football is all about, is, is games like Ohio State Notre Dame. It's going to be a good one, <laughs> that's for sure. We'll see what happens. Uh, like I said, Rick couldn't join us today. He has to work. Uh, but enjoy your, your C.J. Stroud there, uh, Adam, as I'm pretty sure he's going to be in the NFL next week. But uh, next next week, next year, maybe next week. But joining us now, speaking of the NFL, is Ed Kratz, beat writer to the Philadelphia Eagles and SI.com and our official NFL contributor. 
How are you doing, Mr. Ed? Hey, good morning, Tom. How you doing? Doing good. Is is it wrong when I just said Mr. Ed, I thought of an old black and white TV show? Not that I seem to hear a horse or anything, but that's just immediately where my mind went. Well, you know, it's funny when people call me that, you can't really see it unless, uh, you know, we're face to face, but I start tapping my foot like three times. <laughs> and, the, and, the, and the even more sad thing is Adam's on with us and he's scratching his head right now. It's like, what are they talking about? Adam, are you familiar I, with guys, the show? I know who Mr. Ed was. I, I, I had grandparents on. I was born in 85. I'm not that young. <laughs> wow. It depends who you're well, talking gonna, to there, get, Adam. <laughs> let's get into 85. this. Uh, yeah, let's get into this football talk. You know, we didn't get to this game, but I thought, you know, bringing in the, uh, the college season we needed because – We'll have to, you know, backtrack on a, on a joke that started a long time ago here on the show that I started talking about the Nevada Wolfpack and a, a quarterback by the name of Carson Strong. And Rick kind of just chimed in. He goes, who cares who Carson Strong is? Nobody's ever going to pay attention to the Nevada Wolfpack. So there's always been the joke that we talk about the Nevada Wolfpack, and, and they've got the Texas Bob, uh, Bobcats or, or at the, the Wolfpack. So we'll, we'll see what happens this weekend. We'll talk about it uh, next week in our official Wolfpack uh, de- debut. Uh, but let's get into the NFL talk. We've had our fantasy football draft. And we're kind of going to use this as a mock draft sort of thing, but we're done with all the drafts. So we'll just go through how the season's uh, shaping up. And we want there's, obviously we want to get to the Browns because Adam is joining us as well. But let's start with the Philadelphia Eagles. As you guys are getting ready for the commanders coming up, I mean, I'm sorry, the – the Lions. Detroit Lions. The Lions right? yeah. yeah, okay. Right. <laughs> Dan, Rick couldn't join us either. So let's talk about the Eagles. Obviously, uh, I feel like they had a relatively good uh, preseason. Um, it's certainly, well, if you want to count the Dolphin game out of, out of that mix. But nonetheless, saw a lot of good things sized up with the Philadelphia Eagles. You were there through it all, all of camp and preseason. Talk with us about the Philadelphia Eagles as they get ready for their season in 2022, and uh, what's going on with them. Yeah, well, I, first to back up to Carson Strong, Adam turned out to be right. Nobody cares about Carson Strong and Nevada. I mean, the Eagles had, the Eagles had Carson Strong in camp, and, you know, what a mistake that was. And I, I still don't think anybody's picked him up. But uh, just, just from the get-go, it was, it was pretty clear that Carson Strong was – you know, not an NFL-type quarterback. But, you know, injuries may have had something to do with it. But uh, he made it all the way through camp, and he only got 15 reps in preseason. And, you know, you just knew he wasn't going to be anywhere near this team. And he wasn't. He isn't. And I don't think he's anywhere else either at this point. But, uh, yeah. And then, you know, the Eagles went out to Cleveland, you know. We got to see beautiful Berea, Ohio, where they train. Uh, they practiced against the Browns for two joint practices. A couple of weeks ago, and then they played in that preseason game on Sunday. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think the Eagles have a good enough roster to maybe make some noise this year. Uh, you know, I've been looking around at some of these national predictions, and I think, you know, three or four or five of these so-called experts have the Eagles making it to the Super Bowl but losing to either the Bills, the Chargers, or the Chiefs, depending on, you know, which national expert uh, predicted that. But, you know, I mean, that's the kind of roster we're talking about. It is a – 
a very well constructed roster, a lot of work in the off season from Howie Roseman. Uh, you know, that, that first, first game against Detroit is going to be a handful though. I think, I, you know, I think the Eagles went up there and last year and hammered them uh, like 44 to six. So I think that kind of smarts a little bit. I've been watching a little of this hard knocks with Dan Campbell and, you know, the mm-hmm. Lions look like, you know, they, they, they want to win, you know, and I think Campbell has the right approach to doing that. So it's, you know, the Eagles may not win their season opener. And I, I think they might get off to a little bit of a slow start just because that's what they always do, it seems. You know, last year they were 2-5, and five, and then they ended up 9-8 and eight and went to the playoffs. So uh, because of so many new pieces on defense, uh, you know, they play the Lions, and I think it's a tough game. Then they host the Vikings in the Monday night, their home opener on a Monday night. The Vikings are very good. They just Eagles just traded them Jalen Rager, their former number one pick from 2020 and then they have the uh, commanders in Washington with Carson Wentz and then they have Doug Peterson their Super Bowl winning coach coming back here in week four so I mean those four games everybody around Philadelphia thinks they're going to be easy and they should be three and one or four and oh I I think they could be easily two and two at at that point Uh, and then as the season goes on maybe uh, you know once they learn how to play together a little bit more they'll they'll get better but uh, it could be a slow start for them. Uh, Adam, you got anything uh, for Ed on the Eagles? I I do, Ed. Man, you're being <laughs> you're you're being a normal Philadelphia like down <laughs> on your team a little bit, dude. I don't know if you watched freaking Doug Peterson once Frank Reich was gone or Carson Wentz. Ed, Carson Wentz is the only human in history that sprained his ankles on the same play, both both ankles. Yeah. He's literally – he is a human mistake. Like, he has all the arm talent in the world and not a brain cell dedicated to the game of football. I would not be worried about the Washington Commanders at all. And I wouldn't be – I'm not worried about freaking Jacksonville Jaguars. For crying out loud, they made Christian Kirk the seventh highest paid receiver in the NFL. To do what? Yeah. Like – Here's my thing. I am I am bullish on the Philadelphia Eagles. Like, if you want my Super Bowl prediction right now, I'm going Eagles. I, I get everybody loves the Bills, but we also need to see Josh Allen without Brian Dayball. And we kind of have to, I think, see the uh, – we need to see the Chiefs with – their new look offense and all their new look receivers. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes is yeah. a monster, but I'm gonna I I'm leaning towards Eagles, and it pains me to say this, the Baltimore Ravens because I think Lamar Jackson oh, wow. is up on a mission. Wow, well, I hope yeah. it's I mean, a little bit of a stretch. I know, but I just I, like I just it. think I I I think I think Philadelphia right now has one of the best young rosters in football. Like, it's, it's a stacked roster that only got better this week by adding Chauncey Gardner-Johnson from, from the same – from nothing. I think Jalen Hurts is, for what he is, he's not going to be Tom Brady, but they don't want him to be Tom Brady. And I think A.J. Brown's going to be a beast. I'm, I'm very, very bullish on the Philadelphia Eagles. I think they play in an overrated division. I think they're going to lay a smack on the Cowboys twice. Um. I, I I could I think they could go seven or not seven, uh, yeah. I, I mean I think they could go five and one in their in their division pretty easily. 
Hey, I'm really yeah, I'm really yeah. on yeah, I, I, hey, listen, hey. getting back to those games, I mean, I'm, I, the Commanders and Jags, when I say two and two, I mean, I think the Lions and the Vikings are the two toughest games in that stretch. And, you know, then they go to Washington and, and, and Jacksonville. I agree yeah, I think, with the Vikings. I think you're going to have a rejuvenated yeah. Kirk Cousins after he got out of, you know, Mike Zimmer's, you know, like eighth circle of hell, um, where apparently yeah. that entire organization hated him. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I, I agree that the Lions is going to be a tough game. I just don't think the Lions have the talent to keep up. I think it's going to – the Lions are going to be that team that they're like scrappy as all get out. And they, you look down and you're like, they only have four wins or five wins because every game has been competitive. Um, but I think the Eagles come away. I think the Vikings is a tough – that's a tough second game. That's going to be one of like the highlight weeks maybe of the whole that, – that could be like a, a, a tent post game for the whole season. Um, but I have yeah. going starting off three and one. Here's the problem hey, with hey, playing Ed. a team like the Lions. Yeah, go ahead. Oh no, I was gonna say now you know why Adam doesn't drink coffee. But go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that, but good to know. Um, <laughs> I, I, the, the problem with playing teams like the Lions and maybe the Falcons and some of these other teams that are supposed to be not very good is the, they don't know how bad they are yet. You know, it's still the season yeah. opener and. You know, they're zero and zero. So they they don't know that they're supposed to be bad. So they're gonna come out fired up and mm-hmm. you know, it's Good their point. home opener. And the and the Eagles came in last year and smoked them. Uh, you know, that's gonna be a factor. And yeah, the Eagles might have a better roster in the long run, but in the short run, they don't know that. The Lions don't know that yet. They don't know they're supposed to win five games. Uh, I mean, they're still <laughs> sitting there at zero and zero. So that's the danger in playing teams that you think are going to be bad is because they just don't know they're supposed to be bad, and they don't know how bad they're going to be yet because it's September 3rd or whatever, the September 11th, the home opener. So I don't know. I just think that's a, a concerning game for the Eagles. If they win, great, then, you know, we'll see. And the Vikings, you know, that's kind of a sandwich game for them. They open at home, I think, with the Packers, and then they play the Lions after they play the Eagles. So that's kind of an, in, you know, in-between game between, you know, a, a two division games. So a little bit of a trap game early for the Vikings, if you want to look at it that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, I, I'm a believer in spotting in the schedule where you play a team, when you play a team. And, uh, you know, I think the Eagles can win 10, 11 games this year. Uh, you know, things bounce their way and, and uh, you know, they have get a little lucky. They stay healthy. Maybe they win 12. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not being down on them. I'm just kind of just trying to be a little realistic here. Everybody seems to think they're, they're this great team and I, I have to see it yet. Adding Chauncey Gardner Johnson was a great move, but you know, how much is he going to help next week? I mean, he, he came in here Wednesday. Yeah. He's got like a week to get ready uh, for the, for that game. And then they pick up Trey Sermon, the running back out of Euro Ohio state university, who again, uh, what's he going to do next week? He's going to be inactive, I'm pretty sure. I mean, he's yeah. the fourth running back on this roster who comes in late. So, I mean, the Eagles to me are a team that I think will, will find their footing as the season goes along. And again, if they get lucky, if some bounces and some calls go their way, yeah, they could win 12. But I have them at right around that. You know, Vegas hasn't picked at nine and a half wins. And, you know, I'm going to take the over thinking 10. But, you know, that's not a, a glowing uh, – assessment from Vegas, uh, nine and a half wins. So, yeah, I think yeah. – I, I tend to think, especially in the terms of the Eagles, like if you look at how their schedule lays out, um, I think they start off well. I think they're going to have that middle of the season kind of like where they're kind of taking their lumps, um, especially if, if, again, you've got some younger players in key positions. 
that kind of have to go through that learning process together. The reason why I'm so hyped on the Eagles is, is more for their late-season prospects. I think they could finish out really, really well and get hot-headed in the playoffs. And let's be honest, they play in a conference where there are a lot of question marks. The Rams, for all of their talent, have an absolutely murderous schedule. Uh, no one still knows anything about Trey Lance in San Francisco. You know, Aaron Rodgers is thrown to, like, the ghost of, like, freaking, like, Paul Warfield out there. Um, and, 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 and then Tampa, Tom Brady doesn't look like he actually wants to play football. Um, he so, just looks like he's, A, collecting a paycheck, and, B, making sure he didn't get sued for the whole Dolphin stuff. So I just think the Eagles will be able to take advantage of a very questionable NFC, get stronger as the season goes on, and then finish headed with momentum in the playoffs. So, guys, I want to get through some of these games. And so, uh, yeah, a lot to talk about with the Philadelphia Eagles. And one of the, 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 you know, also important to point out that the NFL starts their season on September 11th. Uh, I know the NFL's got some uh, things set up. It's interesting to see how they're going to play that throughout the entire uh, game and, and, and the entire entire day, I guess. Uh, but really interesting to, to to see the NFL, and they have such a tie-in to September 11th, if you remember when all of that happened with the Giants and just everything that happened when the football finally came back after September 11th. It's very cool that they're starting this season on September 11th. Okay, Adam, I'm about to turn you loose, but we got to we got to keep it to just uh, 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 ring you in just a little bit. Okay, all right, we got one. Baker Mayfield. Four minutes. <laughs> Baker Mayfield says that yeah. he did not say he wants to. Oh, I won't use the adjective that he said. Yeah. But apparently, yeah. he says the Panthers and him want to f up the Cleveland Browns. He yeah. did not say that, Adam. 30 seconds, what are your thoughts? Okay, Baker, you're full of crap, dude. We've heard you run your mouth, and it's pissed other teams <laughs> off for four years in Cleveland. Like, you came in, everybody got behind you, and then the second things didn't go your way, you started complaining about the fans. Shut up and do your freaking job. Miles Garrett is going to try to rip your daggum head off, and I hope he hits you so hard you're regretting <laughs> being a dick to all the Cleveland fans. End of so far. I, I love it, man. I love it. I knew I had to, like, if I if I didn't give him 30 seconds in, man. No, I'm just kidding. Now, the other part <laughs> of the big story that I want to talk about with the Cleveland Browns, and I'm going to start with you, uh, Ed, and I think that this is not – it's it's not a pleasant thing to talk about. The, the, the Browns signed him, and so, hey, it is what it is. Um, let's talk about the Deshaun Watson factor, uh, the effect. Overall, uh, with the the Browns, he should have been suspended, if not for life, at least for the season, based on what we know, okay? But the NFL took a different direction. So, the Deshaun Watson effect with the Browns, or is there a Deshaun Watson effect with the Browns? Ed, go ahead. Well, I think the players in the, in the, in the Cleveland locker room, they – don't care about the Deshaun Watson thing. Yeah, it could be a distraction. They've talked about it. They've kind of deflected their answers. But to them, it's, you know, it's about doing their job, and they shouldn't let it be a distraction. What's going to be interesting is when he comes back, you know, if, if Jacoby Brissett or Josh Dobbs, who actually looked like the better quarterback in the preseason, you know, if they've got the, the Browns sitting, uh, when's he come back? Week 
11 or 12, I think it is. Week 12. Uh, I, I week 12. I mean, if they're sitting there at like, you know, 8 and 4, you know, are you going to just throw Deshaun Watson out there or are you going to let, you know, keep riding with uh, Dobbs slash Brissett, who's ever the quarterback? It's going to be Brissett, but if he struggles, you know, Dobbs looks pretty good. So, you know, I think that that's when it could become a distraction. Uh, you can say what you want, whether you think he should have been suspended for the year or for life. And, you know, I don't disagree that, you know, he probably should have got suspended longer. But then you look, he did sit out all last year. Now, that wasn't by any suspension or anything, but he did miss last year. He's going to come back after 11 games have been played this year. That's nearly two years of missing football and live action. So when I think it could become a, a distraction is when it comes down to, he's ready to return. Now, if Cleveland's sitting there at four and eight, then yeah, okay, let's throw him out there. But to me, he's, you know, I saw him in practice, like I said, when the Eagles played, uh, practiced out there for those two two days before their preseason game. I mean, he, he's the best quarterback, hands down. I mean, he still looked a little rusty. He missed some guys with deep throws mm-hmm. uh, in practice. But, you know, to me, he's just, you know, what he can do makes that team so much better. And you can argue, like I said, the, the, suspension, the suspension is what it is at this point. And um, you don't have to like it. Uh, you know, it would be nice to hear a better, a more genuine apology. But, you know, guys get second chances all the time. You know, I always talk to Michael Vick here in Philadelphia. But Michael Vick served 20 months in Leavenworth State Prison in Kansas. Mm-hmm. And he paid his dues when he came back. But people were up in arms about it in Philadelphia, including some family members who loved the Eagles but couldn't stand them after they brought Vick in. So, you know, I get it. Uh, but to me, if you're just talking on talent alone, Watson is phenomenal as a quarterback. No, I agree. He's a great he's a, he's a great athlete. I just wonder how big of, a, of an effect that's going to have. Adam, we're going to go to you. There's two effects that I want to ask you about. Uh, obviously, the Deshaun Watson effect, basically what we just talked about. Great quarterback, but, you know, there is that, that dark side that we have to deal with with him. On the other side, you guys probably got the biggest deal of the draft with Alex Wright. Uh, who's going to, between Alex Wright and Deshaun Watson, who's going to be a, a bigger contributor uh, to the team this year uh, in having a success in what you would call victories, if you will? I like Alex Wright, and I think that it is what it is with Deshaun Watson, but I do, I do think that that uh, dark side of him is going to be a big distraction for the Browns this year. But go ahead, uh, Adam. I don't as Ed said, I don't know there's going to be a distraction for the team in terms of, like, the locker room presence. The guys in the locker room love him. Um, there's a lot of people that, when this all happened, that were in the Houston community that were like, uh, I don't know about it. And and I've even talked on this show about some of the really, I don't know, sketchy aspects of this entire case. Um, do I think Deshaun Watson is completely innocent? No. I will be upfront and say that. I think things happen. I also think things happen with consent. Um, and if that person came back and changed their mind, okay. And I could be wrong. Like, I have no problem admitting I am wrong um, on that front. That's just the way that I see it, looking at the facts, of the, or the, you know, the facts, the details of the case that we think we know. Um, that's kind of where I stand. Um, as far as the Alex Wright question, Alex Wright, defensive end we got from uh, UAD in the third round. Gosh, I don't know. I – I think Alex Wright could be really, really good. He has all the physical skills um, of a good defensive end. He just couldn't stay focused at UA um, while he was there. And, and the thing about him is 
he's also sitting behind two pretty freaking good defensive ends in Miles Garrett and Javion Clowney. How much impact does Wright have this year? I don't know. I think what the, the Browns hope is that after this season, Wright shows enough that they can give him the starting spot opposite Garrett next year to let Clowney go to save some of that cap space um, for other areas of need. Um, if I'm looking a rookie um, that's going to make the biggest impact this year, I think it's going to be David Bell, the receiver from Purdue. Um, he, I, I believe, Ed, he was back for the Eagles practices, but he was somewhat limited throughout the preseason because of a hamstring issue. Was he, was he on the field with you guys then? Yeah, he practiced. Yeah, uh, he okay. did. Denzel Ward did not. Um, uh, yeah, but Bell was out there. Yeah, and, 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 and Bell, Bell is, is a – he's just – he's what you look for in that NFL slot receiver. Runs great routes. He may not be the fastest dude, but he gets open, and he catches everything. Um, that, that's what I think. I think it's going to take Bell a little bit to get acclimated because he's not only getting acclimated to the NFL, but he's getting acclimated to playing with Jacoby Brissett. As far as when Watson comes back, we all know the NFL loves the storyline, and his first game back is against the Houston Texans in Week 12. Where our record stands at that point, I think, is going to be closer to the six and five, five and six mark than the eight and three mark. Um, Brissett is a is a is a can be a good can be a good game manager, but we, I mean, there are some tough games out the gate. That Carolina game won't be easy. Carolina boasted a top 10 defense last year. And then we have the Chargers in a few weeks. We have the Patriots. And who freaking knows what's going on in New England except Bill Belichick. But we all know that Bill Belichick always has his teams ready to play. Um, it's going to be a tough sled until Watson comes back. And then even once he comes back, as Ed pointed out, he hasn't played meaningful football in nearly two years and I don't know how long it's going to take Deshaun to get back up to being the Deshaun Watson we saw that led the league in, in air yards uh, two seasons ago when he threw for almost 5,000 yards um, on that Texans team. So I kind of feel like this, this Browns team is very much, um, can we sneak into the playoffs this year? And if we can't, let's make some positive steps so that next year we can make some noise. Because the other interesting thing, Tom, about the Browns, and a lot of people don't know this just because some of the players that they've had on the roster have been making noise for a while, but since they started out so young, the Browns actually have the second youngest roster in the entire NFL, um, which is pretty amazing uh, for them to be, you know, as good as they are while having that much youth all over the field. All right, guys. Let's get let's get uh, through some of these uh, just uh, uh, teams uh, through the preseason. Obviously, uh, really, I'm going to put on my homework cap for a second. The Colts, Matt Ryan, uh, Jonathan Taylor, um, um, Michael Pittman Jr. All a good combination for the Indianapolis Colts to have a great season. We've got some obstacles to work through, but I think for the first time, and I know I'm wearing my homer hat here, but I think for the first time in a long time. We've got our quarterback situation addressed, our offensive line addressed, our defensive line addressed, our special teams. We're firing on all cylinders. We're going we're gonna to struggle. It's not going to be a give me, but I do think 
I do think that the Indianapolis Colts wins the AFC South and gets to the playoffs a a place that they've missed for a long time. Ed, what are your thoughts about my Indianapolis Colts? Yeah, I, I you know they they've done a nice job in the offseason. Getting Matt Ryan was you know certainly an upgrade from Wentz. And you look at the Tennessee Titans, that you know probably the obviously the biggest you know competitor Colts have to winning that division. And I don't know. I think that uh, the Titans could take maybe a step back here. You know they traded away their best wide receiver, AJ Brown, to Philadelphia. Uh, you know, they, they drafted Traylon Burks. I, I don't think he really had a, a preseason that you can get excited about. Um, you know, Derrick Henry, another year older, obviously their offense is still going to flow through him. But, you know, the Titans could be ready to take a step back here. And uh, if they do, I mean, who is in better position to step forward other than the Colts? I mean, you're not going to see it from the Texans. You won't see it from the Jags. So, yeah, I think the Colts can win the uh, win the division, no, no doubt about it. I think Matt Ryan gives them a mature, stable quarterback, and and that's going to go a long way for them, <clears throat> for the Colts. So yeah, I think the Colts will win that division. To be honest, I, I think the Titans take a little step back, and the Colts are ready to take a step up. All right, guys, we've got just a few minutes left. I know Adam. I know you said you had to, to drop here before too much longer. Uh, Tony will be uh, joining us soon. Uh, and we'll get into our racing conversation. So uh, we're just going to kind of rapid fire around the horn here and just go a quick uh, synopsis of what you think the team's going to be like. Uh, we, we talked a, a few moments ago about Buffalo and how Josh Allen's going to be. Uh, Adam, 30 seconds or less, Buffalo Bills, what say you? Uh, Buffalo Bills have potentially the best roster in the league, but we got to see how Josh Allen performs without Brian Dayball before I'm ready to, like, pronounce them the AFC frontrunners. Ed, the Los Angeles Rams, we like them a lot. And uh, look out on the West Coast. Look out for them to make another appearance in the postseason deep. Am I wrong or right? Uh, Three words, Super Bowl hangover. Hard to repeat as champions. (laughs) You know what that's like. Um, Yes. Yes, sir. Yeah, uh, certainly the Rams face. I'm not sure they can overcome that. It's hard to regain that intensity and that, you know, play every week with that high level of intensity. So, yeah, I I think that the Rams – I don't think the Rams make it back to the Super Bowl. Adam, the Chicago Bears. Uh, 30 seconds. Justin Fields shows that he belongs on the NFL field, but the Bears also show that they need to give him some freaking weapons. Ed, the Atlanta Falcons. Stink. Uh, C.J. Stroud. There you go. Atlanta Falcons. Move on. <laughs> C.J. Stroud. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Or Bryce Young. I mean, I, I'm not really sold on Bryce Young, but C.J. Stroud, yeah, I'll, I'll give him to the Falcons next year because they're going to have the number one pick, either them or the Seahawks. Guys, the Pittsburgh Steelers had a lot going on in the offseason. I, Adam, I wish we had our mutual friend Kyle on. I've been talking to him on the text. He also thinks that Pittsburgh's going to go deep into the postseason. I'm curious to see how this is going to happen without Big Ben. And, again, they've had a lot of distractions, unfortunate distractions. Uh, But uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, guys, I I like, but I'm not really sold on them to be a big contender in the the postseason. Adam, what are your thoughts? Tom, you want Pittsburgh Steelers, four words. Great roster, no quarterback. Move on. 
All right, we're moving on. And, and uh, talk about the Detroit Lions. Let's talk about the team that I hate to talk about, but let's talk about him anyway, Ed Kratz, the New England Patriots. Well, Adam said earlier, who knows what's going on with that team except Bill Belichick. I mean, it, is Mac Jones going to be as good as he was as a rookie? You know, is he going to continue to progress, or have we seen his ceiling? I, you know, there's a lot of question marks on the Patriots, and they play in a division that I think will be improved. I think you got to watch the Dolphins. I don't want to give away all the teams there, but I think the Patriots are, are missing the playoffs this year. I really, I'm not, I don't believe uh, in what Bill Belichick's doing there. Adam, you said the Baltimore Ravens are going to the Super Bowl this year with the Philadelphia Eagles. How did you come to that conclusion? I, I think Lamar is going to play with a shoe on his shoulder. Um, I think the return of J.K. Dobbins is going to give them another weapon. Um, they're still missing some pieces receiving. You know, he's got Rashad Bateman. I just – I look at the AFC, and I just think what's going to happen, I think Buffalo – and Kansas City are just going to kind of beat each other up, um, or, or they're going to ha- they're just going to take their lumps throughout the season. I think Buffalo is counting a lot on Von Miller. Again, we don't know the Brian Dayball situation. I I think Kansas City is they're they're taking a risk letting Tyree Kill walk with some really good dudes. I'm just I think Lamar Jackson is too too talented to um, let essentially what is an expiring contract season go to waste. Um, oh, and it, right, guys, it, I'm going to be honest. That, that's more of me throwing it out there than, than super confident in the Ravens. I appreciate it, Adam. Uh, well, guys, we're going to have to wrap it up and put a bow on, on this segment. I appreciate you guys jumping on with Ted Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles and SI.com. I'm going to give you the last word. The New York Giants, what say you, sir? Wow, yeah, still a lot of question marks with them. They just cut their linebacker, Blake Martinez, who I think was their top tackler last year. They're just in salary cap hell, and they've had to dig out of it. The Eagles have been a beneficiary of that. They landed James Bradbury, one of the top cornerbacks, you know, top top half cornerback in this league. So uh, I just don't think they're ready to step forward. Daniel Jones still, I don't think he's the answer. I think they'll be better than they were last year, maybe by a handful of games, but I don't see them being a factor in the NFC East. All right, Ed, we appreciate you. We're always following your work. But where can people find your work and masterpieces, sir? Yeah, Twitter, K-R-A-C-Z-E, at Kratzy, or uh, at SI.com, backslash NFL, backslash Eagles. Have a great weekend, Ed. We appreciate you, buddy. Thanks, guys. See you, Adam. Yeah. Thanks, Ed. See you later. Adam Jividan, we appreciate you joining us. Super Browns fan. Super, uh, 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 <laughs> Uh, Ohio State fan, sorry. And I'm going to move you up from quasi-Cavalier uh, fan to an amazing uh, Cavalier fan. How about that? <laughs> Adam, I know, you don't really, I know you don't live in the Twitter nest or anything like that, but uh, if someone was so inclined to uh, follow you, they're just going to have to listen to this podcast, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right, buddy. You have a great weekend. Awesome. Uh, don't lose your cat. Thanks, Tom. Have a great right? Day weekend, man. Right, hey, don't lose your cat. No, she came back. <laughs> We're good. 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 All right, buddy. We'll see you. All right, bye-bye. Adam in. Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, and SI.com joining us to break out our NFL segment, and we had our fantasy football draft yesterday. Joining us now, Tony 
Donahue has a Tony T B pod B D B podcast, right? And burnoutsports.com going to talk some racing with us today. But, uh, Tony, I know you play in our uh, fantasy football league. You won it last year. Uh, and you had to do auto draft. I didn't pay much attention to everybody's draft, and I haven't broke it down yet. But how, how do you think you did, sir? You know, I've decided this year in, in fantasy football that I'm going to try, no matter how many teams I have, which is usually two or three, maybe even four, just to have the same quarterback and just ride and die with the same guy. So um, that guy this year for me is Justin Herbert. I snagged him last night. So um, everything else is all gravy on top. So hopefully he can ride me again to the promised land. So you're saying no matter what anybody says to you or what they offer you, you're not going to trade Justin Herbert for anything? No, no trading of Justin Herbert. (laughs) Okay. Fantastic. Well, let's get into the IndyCar and NASCAR talk. Uh, Steve can't join us today, I don't think. Uh, So let's talk about Portland. Uh, And uh, I'll give you whatever two minutes or so, uh, run us through the the Portland course as it is. I mean, it's a it's a street course. It's a fun course to watch. I, I'm I'm glad to, to see them back on the on the on the full time schedule with IndyCar, the Grand Prix at Portland. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, Portland Raceway is 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 a really cool little track. I mean, it's it's a permanent road course just outside of Portland. It's fast. It's got some really sharp turns. And and really, what I preach this week, and what you know, a lot of the drivers are going to tell you is that turn number one on lap one is going to be crazy because they fan out four or five wide down the straightaway. Then they head down into that corner, man. I'm telling you, um, we've seen a lot of good cars get wrecked. We've seen a lot of days ended there, um, you know, in lap one. So it'll be interesting to see what happens because you got to survive that lap one. You, You have to make sure that you keep your car clean. You don't get caught up in somebody else's mistakes. You don't make a mistake. You don't run the car off and break the tow link and break the steering on it. So, Really, turn one is, is, is what you got to look out for in tomorrow's race. Um, it'll be interesting. You, you, you have the race itself, and you have the championship. You have, you know, Joseph Newgarden chasing down Will Power. Well, we learned that Joseph Newgarden has to make an engine change, so he'll start six positions back from – excuse me, eight positions back from where he qualifies – where he qualifies later today. So if he qualifies on the pole, which he was fastest in yesterday's practice, the best he can start is eighth. Um, and you don't want to start 10th on back because it's kind of where all that chaos tends to happen on lap number one. So um, I think for Joseph Newgarden and, 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 and to keep keep that championship hope alive, even though he's only, you know, I think qualify. And you've got to qualify on the pole so you can at least start eighth after taking that penalty. So um, just another interesting tidbit, another wrench thrown into the championship scene here. And it seems like with Joseph this year, it's been feast or famine. You know, he – He'll either win or he'll be back there marred in 10th or 12th or 14th. Um, he's got five wins this season. Uh, Texas, he's won. Iowa, he won. Elkhart Lake, he won. Uh, he obviously won St. Louis. Um, and, you know, it's just New Garden could easily be 20 points ahead of everybody if he was just a little more consistent. Scott Dixon could easily be 20 more points ahead of everybody if he would have had a better finish in Indianapolis 500. Will Power could have been 20 points ahead of everybody if he simply had a couple better finishes throughout the summer races. Marcus Erickson, if he could have just found a couple more top fives. So um, you've got three realistic championship contenders where it would probably come from in Dixon, Newgarden, and and Power. But 
Erickson still is right there, 17 points back. And I think if you're Marcus, you go for broke the next two weeks and do whatever strategy or do whatever calls you have to do to get yourself up towards the front to win these races. Well, we're certainly coming down to the end of the season, and you and I have talked about who we thought might be the champion of 2022, and we kind of landed on Scott Dixon. He's still in the top three. But do we think it's going to be in the top three, whether that be Will Power, Joseph Newgarden, or Scott Dixon, or do we think that it's going to be somebody outside of the top three that might be a way, figure out a way to get to the championship, or is the top three one of them going to be the champion this year? I mean, you look at every race so far this year, and one of those three guys is finishing inside of the top five, Dixon, Power, Newgarden, and those are the top three in points. Um, you know, McLaughlin's on the outside looking in, Pato Award, Eric's on the outside looking in, and so it's Alex Pillow. Um, my bet is it comes from that top three. It's more than likely that's where it's going to be. Power, Newgarden, and Dixon finishing outside the top 10 or top 15 in the final two races, and somebody like Alex Pillow winning both of those races, somebody like Marcus Erickson winning both of those races, qualifying on the pole, leading the most laps to get those bonus points and, and get max points. So um, there's a 95% chance it's either going to be Dixon, Power, or Newgarden, um, but there still is that 5% chance of chaos, which uh, some people would like, some people want to see. Um, you know, there's a part of me that wants to see Alex Pillow hold up that championship trophy again for the second year in a row. Uh, with Chip Ganassi and all the turmoil that's gone on there and him reportedly leaving next year for McLaren. But, um, you know, it's probably more than likely going to end up uh, those top three that are in points right now. Well, you look at Will Power and his ability to get four poles so far this, this year. Will Power is as dominant as I've seen him in a long, long time. I like him, uh, and I, I really do think he's – I don't want to go chalk, but if I was to change my mind from Scott Dixon, it would be the willpower. But I also like Scott McLaughlin. I mean, let's talk about his season. I mean, either which way, he's been a success uh, in his number three uh, machine with Team Penske. He's had two poles, two wins. He's sitting at 96 points. I mean, he's not going to win the championship. But overall, I think he's got nothing to, to look bad, bad about or look look down on his season. I mean, of course, everybody wants to improve, but I think we like Scott McLaughlin. I think he's had a great season. I've had um, a huge liking this year towards Scott McLaughlin. He wins the first race of the year at St. Pete. He wins at Mid-Ohio, finishes on the podium. Texas finishes on the podium. Um, I think he has five podiums this year. I am incredibly excited to see what McLaughlin can do in 2023. Uh, I think he's a little bit too far out of the championship run right now, although he, he has shown some consistency late. He had a really bad Indianapolis. He had a really bad month of May. that kind of put him behind the eight ball. He obviously wrecked out of the 500. Uh, I've actually got to spend a little bit more time with McLaughlin over the last couple of weeks and did so in St. Louis. And, um, you know, if you haven't seen Bus Bros with him and Joseph Newgarden, it's a great way to see his personality and, and, and who he is. And, and, and he is a character. He's a, he's, he's a funny guy. Um, he's a great dude. Um, you know, he's married to a, to a woman from New York City. I mean, his father-in-law is from New York. He's from uh, Australia. So I think my vote this year for the most popular driver in the car goes to Scott McLaughlin. Um, he's really came on. And, um, you know, that Penske car, that three-number Penske, that, that number three Penske car is 
going to be up front next year um, a lot. And I'm, that's one of the, the top five things that I'll write about this year is what am I the most excited for in 2023? And it's to be able to see, okay, now that, you know, Scott McLaughlin has these races underneath his belt, he's got two races at each track. Now he's going to go back and now he's going to say, okay, I've got enough database. I've got enough going on to say, yeah, I can go and win these races and compete for podiums and compete for championships. So I don't think it'll happen this year for Scott. He's just a little bit too far outside looking in. Um, but look out in 2023. I, I think the I think that number three car could be up front a lot next year. Talking with Tony Donahue, Tony D Podcast, and BurnoutSports.com. Uh, one of the things we've talked about uh, here and there throughout the season is Colton Herta uh, jumping in an F1 car. That could be the a- avenue for Andre to do that. But also I heard that if he, if he races with F1, he'll be racing under the McLaren umbrella, not the Andretti umbrella. So uh, is Colton Herta going to race dual uh, uh, IndyCar in F1, or is he just going to race one or two F1s, or is he even going to do you know? You know, I don't think anybody knows right now that they've been signed on the dotted line. What makes the most sense would be to run IndyCar next year again and then test um, a Formula One car. Uh, you know, in Formula One, you, you can put a different driver in for a, for a free practice to see what he can do. Um, he tested a few weeks ago in a Formula One car and was on pace with most of the field. Uh, I think he would have qualified third with his fastest lap, if I'm not mistaken. I think what makes the most sense next year is to run IndyCar, um, you know, just keep gaining that experience more more points more super licensed points but he hasn't had the best of years yeah he won an indy uh, he's barely inside of the top 10 right now it, it, it's kind of been a down year for andretti uh, you know they won both road course races at the indianapolis motor speedway but uh that was a lot to do with colton being really good in the rain that was a lot to do with rossi uh, whose car ended up being a little bit underweight i think what you do next year is you run indy car you let michael andretti try to form something um you know, maybe that is with McLaren somehow because him and Zach Brown are good friends. Um, but I think you run IndyCar next year full time, and then when Formula One goes to Coda and Formula One goes to Las Vegas um, next November, then I think, um, you know, then I then I think you, you let Colton go down and, and test and get some practice in and, and see how he fits, and then go from there. So I still think Formula One teams have interest, but I still think that they have a lot of a lot of you know, hey, let's let's get this kid in the car. Let's see what he can do uh, before we start jumping the gun and, and, and signing him to some kind of full-time deal. As we wrap up the season and we look at the rookies this year, there's three rookies that stand out. Obviously, Christian Longard, David Malukas, and, and Calium a lot. I guess you're going to correct me on how to say that. But none of them had wins. None of them had polls. Uh, but you got to look at Christian Longard to be the rookie of the year in IndyCar. You know, I'll, I'll, before we get to Christian, I'll, I'll, I'll just say this about the rookie class this year. Um, you know, you've got Kyle Kirkwood, who kind of came on strong, and, and we, we knew he was going to run only one year at Floyd, and, and, and his talent was a lot more than the equipment that was going to be underneath him. So um, I wrote about him overdriving the car too much, which he's done, and he's wrecked many times. Um, you know, you also look at Devlin Francesco, who – he had the one mistake in Texas that, that really, you know, it, I, it was more of a racing incident. Um, it was more of a, hey, he went for a spot. He went to make a pass, as a, as a race car driver should do. Um, Devlin's been a consistent top 15, top 17 type driver this year. Um, you know, Colum Eilat has been super quick at times. 
Um, he's qualified well. That Hooncoast Hollinger Racing team has kind of became that little, the little team that could. Uh, and then you get the top two in points, David Malukas, <laughs> who, um, you know, has had an up and down year. He's had some really good pace in qualifying. Um, he had an okay run at Indy. Remember, he had that really bad wreck um, in Carb Day, uh, but came back, bounced back for I believe a 17th or an 18th place finish in the 500. Um, and then obviously he kind of stole the show at St. Louis two weeks ago with his podium finish and his charge to second, passed him McLaughlin on the last lap on the outside. Um, he's 11 points back, has a podium. And then you look at Christian Lungard. Um, Lungard is a guy that, that has been quick. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's kind of, he's kind of been the guy at Ray Hall. I mean, Graham's had a, had an up and down a year. Jack Harvey hasn't had the year that, he, that, that you would have expected out of him. Um, and Lungard's been right there. You know, he, he had a podium, a career-high second-place finish at the Indy Grand Prix last month, backed it up with a top-four start at Nashville, was in third late in that race, kind of got held up on a restart in the finishing eighth. So um, I've been excited about the rookie class this year. I can't wait to see what they can do next year with the, with the year under their belt. I don't think we'll see as many rookies next year. I, I think we're only looking at possibly two um, it, if we're going to speculate on what 2023 can look like. Um, I think we'll only see two rookies, but yeah. Um, it'll be fun because Malukas is hot right now, um, but Lungard I think is going to be really good on these two um, permanent road courses, which he's been really good at Birmingham. He's been really good at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. He had some pace up at Mid-Ohio. So, um, yeah, he should win it, but, man, Malukas is right there. Malukas is riding high off a lot of momentum from that second-place finish at Gateway two weeks ago. Well, we're excited to see what happens in Portland tomorrow. Talking with Tony Donahue of Tony D Podcast and BurnoutSports.com. Uh, let's move over to NASCAR. Steve can't join us uh, today. Uh, but uh, last week was kind of an interesting weekend in Daytona. And I, want, I saw a tweet of yours, and I'm just curious on the thought behind it because I don't know the backstory. But I saw a, t- a tweet that you said, uh, and I'm using your words, I believe. You said NASCAR is a joke. So I'm just curious on the backstory on that tweet before we get into some NASCAR. <laughs> well, are you, are you comfortable discussing that tweet? To me, it's a joke because, you know, that whole green, you know, you knew the rain was coming and you sent the entire field at the most dangerous Amen. race course in Amen. the world into turn number one. And look what happened. And you rattled a lot of drivers cages. I mean, Denny Hamlin, was hurt. You already have Kurt Busch sitting on the sideline. When are you going to listen to these drivers on the safety measures? These cars aren't as safe as they were, um, you know, before the, the next gen came around. Uh, all these drivers are getting their bell rung pretty good. And, you know, I, I thought A.J. Allmendinger summed it up perfectly when he, when, when he got out of the Xfinity car and said, anytime I can walk out of here with the top 10 and I can, I have feelings in my arms and legs. It's a good day because I freaking hate. And he he said the F word. I, you know, I freaking hate this place. And, you know, I'm not saying go away from Daytona or Talladega, but you got to get everybody in the room and say, what can we do? We have to make this because it's a wild card race. You know, the owners don't like it, Tom, because they're going, all right, well, I got to probably come up with a hundred thousand dollar crash bill per car. Uh, You know, you hope and you pray that, um, you, you know, I don't, I don't care if I was Denny Hamlin or Cody Ware or B.J. McLeod, who ended up in the top ten last week, if I'm running the Daytona or a Talladega race, dude, I'm going to the back early, and I'm riding that first – it's the 500-mile race. I'm running that first 450 miles in the back because you know there's going to be wrecks. 
and you know there's going to be a boat ton of wrecks towards the end of the race. I'd be, I'd almost be running in the back till about ten laps to go, and then step on the gas and see if I can make my way up. Um, but I mean, it's WWE on wheels, and, and and that's how they want to market themselves, which is totally fine. That's fine, but you got to listen to these drivers that are that are the ones in the car getting hurt because, um, you know, all it's going to take is one driver to step away and say, look. This just isn't safe, and and I've got a I've got a family at home, and I'm not trying to go out there and and run this anymore. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what, what tweaks and what changes they make, not only to the car, but how the drafting style works in a place like Daytona or Talladega. Absolutely, and I, I agree with you. I, I knew it was something along those lines, but I just wanted to hear it from you. And I absolutely 100% agree that there wasn't the you know great good win for Austin Dillon. I mean, you know, it's always good you didn't get get a win, especially when you're close to the, the postseason and when the end of the regular season, if you will. But yeah, I, I think they 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 could have held it up, maybe because they'd already moved it back to Monday. I, I'm not sure on where the logic was that they just wanted to get this race in to a checkered flag. I thought. And this was just me thinking when they red flagged it because of rain, I know they got to go through their process of saying, Hey, we're going to call this race. They would make, because they almost lost the track. They were like seconds behind it. I I just feel like it could have been because it would have changed the winner. It would have Austin Dillon would have still been the winner. So the winner wouldn't have changed at, at all. So, We've got the NASCAR behind us, a regular season behind us. We go into uh, the, the playoff scenarios, and we go into Darlington this weekend. Darlington's a fun track, and it's another track where we're going to – so we're going to see drama every week. Uh, but uh, talk to us a little bit about what's going on in Darlington, and we'll get through some of these uh, playoff scenarios before we have to wrap it up, sir. Yeah, I, I think going back to Daytona last week, they thought, okay, you know, it got rained out on Saturday. Let's run it Sunday morning as early as possible. Obviously, the rain kept that till about 2 o'clock. Uh, you know, they're on USA Network, so it's not like they were on NBC that needed to cut to something else. They they pretty much had all day. And, you know, going into every race weekend, I think NASCAR says, look, you know, weather or whatever it is, we are going to do everything that we can to – run the scheduled distance. You know, our fans pay for 500 miles. We're going to try to everything in our power to give them 500 miles. I think all racing series do that. So, um, yeah, no, you're right. It didn't, it didn't change Austin Dillon winning, but, but it certainly could have when they went back out from the green flight. As far as Darlington goes, I mean, this is a tough track. This is it's a tough place to start the playoffs because, um, you know, there's really only one groove. You're running that high side the entire, the entire way around. And, and once those tires drop off or one little mistake or the air taken out, out of you, you can end up ruining your day and being in the wall real quick, real hard. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough place to, uh, to, to start the playoff, that's for sure. All right, well, here we go with the playoff scenarios in uh, Darlington. We'll start with the Xfinity Series. We've got Ty Gibbs out at the top there, Noah Gregson, A.J. Allmendinger, and Justin Allgaeger and Josh Berry in the top five. I think we will see a champion out of those top five. I, I like Ty Gibbs, I do. But I was really high on Noah Gregson for a long time. Um, so I'm kind of still there, but and I, I like the dinger. Uh, Josh Berry, I like all of them, actually. I wouldn't be surprised if any of them pull out a championship. We've got some time to make it happen. But what are your thoughts on that top five? Or do you think it's going to be someone like Landon Castle or, or Daniel Hemrick or Sam Mayer or something like that? I mean, as far as Xfinity goes, you know, it's, it's I'm going to lean on the experience. I mean, 
Noah Gregson seems to always be reckoning with somebody. Um, AJ Allmendinger's right there, but, but but can he perform fully on some of these other races? You know, he's obviously good at the road courses. He's obviously really good um, on the super speedways. But um, you know, my pick there is Justin Allgaier. I mean, he's got the experience. He knows how to he knows how to take a seventh car and finish a seventh place car and finish fourth. He knows how to say, okay, we're third. That's a good point today. Um, let's bring it back in one piece. So I'm going to go with the experience and the guy that's been, you know, it seeming like an Xfinity driver his entire career, and I'll go with Justin Allgaier. That's a good choice. It's a good choice. We'll see what happens. Uh, who, who's your pick for the Xfinity race um, tomorrow or today? Sorry, today. Uh, I'm going to go Josh Berry. We'll, we'll see if, you know, he's he's got that short track background, but he knows how to, he knows how to pilot a car and, um, this is a this is this is a race where it's going to be um, of most importance to qualify up front because it's just hard track position to move up at, at Darlington. So um, give me give me um, give me Josh Berry today to possibly get it done. All right, your DraftKings pick is Josh Berry. Well, let's talk about the uh, Cup Series uh, before we get into the possible championship uh, players, if you will, or or drivers. Let's talk about. Uh, Bush and the Bush, both Bush brothers for that matter, uh, but particularly, um, I, I, I'm so sorry, Kyle, uh, Kyle Bush and his uh, just everything falling apart for him at the end of the season, and he has a lot of options for contracts. What, where, how does uh, does Kyle Bush uh, land? Time's a ticking, they say. Yeah, I mean, you know, what 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 I think is the most pressing thing about this is it's it's in the middle of a championship run. I mean, he's had a pretty good year. Um, you know, maybe not the year that that he would want, but it has been a pretty good year. And I think the most telling thing about all this, Tom, is you know, Gibbs hasn't just stepped up and said, "Yep." He's our guy. We want him back. We're signing him back. It's 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 been oh well sponsors and sp- what, I mean it's not like you're bringing up someone that nobody's ever heard of. It's it's Kyle freaking Bush. It's a guy that is always going to be up front. Um, he's a guy that is always going to be in the news. And if you're a sponsor, regardless of what that sponsor is, you would think it'd be a pretty simple sell. So the fact that Joe Gibbs hasn't came out, stepped up, and just said yeah. Um, He's back with us. We're not letting him go. We've had him since 2007. Um, he's been with us for 15 years. He's still winning races. He's still doing everything that we ask of him. Um, shows that maybe they're ready to go in a different direction. Maybe, you know, they know they got Truex Jr. They know they've got Ty Gibbs waiting in the wings. Um, you know, so so we'll see. Um, so it, it tells me that, one, um, he's probably leaving Joe Gibbs racing and, and two, it's it's sort of becoming a distraction. So, um, you know, it's easy to eliminate those distractions by going out and getting a win today. So we'll have to we'll have to wait and see what what comes from it. Absolutely. So we look at the uh, breakdown of the top five in the playoffs. So Chase Elliott obviously leading the, the pack there, and certainly at this point, you would think that it's his uh, his championship to lose. Joey Logano lost to Chastain, Kyle Larson, and William Byron. Uh, William Byron and Ross Chastain are the two people that I look at to exit first in the playoffs. Uh, Ross Chastain, I, I just don't think he's got it to make it all the way through. And I think 
him or William Byron's going to be one of the first ones to exit the playoffs. What are your thoughts? I mean, yeah, I think that, that'll probably be that round of eight. You'll see some of those guys start to fade. You know, this round of 16, you're going to have a bunch of different guys. Um, you know, but you just don't know with Ross Chastain. I mean, he's 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 wild enough to go and, and beat and bang and, and push some people around and, and, and kind of elbow his way, elbows out to, towards the front. Um, you know, it'll just be interesting to see. Uh, what happens up front and, and but if one of these guys has a bad race or two in one of these rounds all of a sudden you're on the outside looking in so um, what you know NASCAR wants excitement NASCAR doesn't want drivers just racing for points they want drivers to race for wins that's why the stages have been put in in place um, so I think you're going to get the drama that NASCAR is looking for and it's simply going to be drivers going for wins to try to stay inside of those playoff spots. So the, the thing is, that's, that's a very valid point, uh, that that on one side, NASCAR wants to have this drama because uh, they want to have, you know, the fans and the drama brings fans and that sort of stuff. And that creates a lot of inner team. Cause if you've got two teammates, but one of them has no chance in hell of doing anything, and they end up getting into each other. So not only are you out, you didn't have a chance to go anywhere. Now you've ruined a teammate's chance of going anywhere. How do these teams um, work together, yet give NASCAR work they're looking for, give an exciting race to the fans, but at the same time, let's not tear up a race car on our fault anyway, uh, a race car that we need for the, for the playoffs to continue on down the road. Uh, where, what kind of talks are being had in the garages and drivers' meetings and, and team meetings to keep that from happening because it's going to happen just a matter who's going to be involved with it. Yeah, and I think that those those conversations really will start to come later in the playoffs. Like right now, if, even if you're 12th or you're 13th or 14th or, or you're a Chase Briscoe who's in, in the backside of uh, the points, you got Kevin Harvick who's hot and has a win, um, you know, you got you, you try to race everybody cleanly, and I think you you know as a NASCAR driver what goes around comes around. As far as a team goes, you know I, I think you know let's say you're Tony Stewart and you're a team owner. You say, hey, we want to do everything in our power to get our um, to get our car into victory circle every week, whether it's you know the 14 or the four or even the 10. Even though I'm rolling and make the playoffs, but how can we help each other and maybe roll some dice and play some strategy and share some information to be able to uh, get these cars up front? So. Uh, yeah, it, it is it is interesting. Um, that's going to happen. We'll probably see that this weekend at IndyCar too, right? I mean, you've got guys like Jimmy Johnson who could get in the way of an Alex Pillow or Marcus Erickson championship type run. Uh, all three Penske seem to be in the running. Um, but yeah, I just think that you know, working together, knowing what goes around comes around, and trying to race as clean as possible also helps. So um, yeah, I'll definitely be interested to see. Um, if, if anybody on the outside kind of looking in spoils anybody's day or spoils anybody's championship. You hope it doesn't happen, but uh, we certainly know that it, that it is possible and it can happen. So, uh, uh, you know, a prop bet, side bet here, does Chase Elliott keep that mustache trying to look like Burt Reynolds uh, or you know, or some sort of 70s uh, porn stash? Do you think he keeps it if he wins the championship or takes it off? Actually, I think it's um, funny. I, to... I think if you win that championship, you shave that bad boy immediately. <laughs> I think you're right. All right, who wins uh, the race in Darlington, sir, before we let you go? I think it's Denny Hamlin. I think Denny Hamlin's very good there. I think he is going to cement his um, 
his place in the in the next round, that round of 12. Um, I think Hamlin has always been good here, and we'll see if that Toyota can stay up front. Uh, so I don't know what it would pay, but um, you know maybe maybe five dollars on on um, on uh, who likes or on Josh Berry Notre Dame and Denny Hamlin to win tomorrow five bucks might pay you around five hundred so uh, might want to throw a little hey, something on that. Yeah. Might might do you mean like do it like a parlay on them? Do a little parlay of all three. <laughs> Denny Hamlin, Josh Berry, and Notre Dame to win parlay. We're going to see what happens. If I win $500, I'll buy you two beers at the track. No, just kidding. Oh. Buddy, I appreciate you. All righty. I'll look forward to it. Where can people find you working, Matt, people, sir? Yeah, check them out, burnoutsports.com, at Tony D on Twitter. Um, we'll have a lot of cool racing stuff and, and, and have you covered throughout the weekend. All right, buddy. Thanks. Have a good weekend. All right. Take care. Tony Donahue, the Tony D Podcast. Uh, the parlay. We'll do that. We'll see what happens. $5 parlay uh, for um, uh, Josh Berry, Denny Hamilton, and Notre Dame to win. We'll see what happens. Gives us 500 bucks, uh, And he picked uh, Denny Hamlin as his winner. Uh, my name's Tom Mark with Carol Presidente. Thank you so much, Adam Jividen, for bringing the energy, as you always do. I tell you, I, I love it. Super Browns fan, uh, super Ohio State Buckeyes fan, and an absolute amazing Cleveland <laughs> Cavalier fan. Uh, Ed Kratz, beat writer, so that you had to listen to the rest of the show early on the show to get that joke about the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, Nesti.com, and our official NFL contributor, and of course, Tony Donahue of the Tony D Podcast and BurnoutSports.com, helping us break down some racing. Steve couldn't join us today, but I'm glad that you could join us. And if you're listening to us on the podcast, make sure you hit like so we know how awesome you are. We already know how awesome we are. So follow us in the Twitter nest, at T-Balance, or on the Book of Faces. Uh, Just search the balance. You should be able to uh, find us from there. so we do this we do this show live every Saturday morning, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Uh, so what you're hearing is the live show, actually. Uh, we had a little bit of technical hiccups at the beginning, but we worked our way through that. Uh, so we appreciate you joining us. My name's Tom Marquis, El Presidente. I'm out of here, guys. Don't drink and drive. It isn't cool. Deuces.